we've been dealing with the thought of Bible fashioned. And uh, if you remember, I told you Brother Langston said, I, I think it was the July meeting, that he, was, he had stopped saying that he was old-fashioned. and He started telling people that he was Bible-fashioned. And so since then, I've been thinking about this thought of being Bible-fashioned, maybe what does it mean. And uh, so we, we started with uh, singing. Why do we sing in church the way we do in our independent, fundamental, conservative Baptist churches? Why do we do that? And then, not only do, why do, well, I said why, why we pray, excuse me. And then we started why we tithe, why we take up tithes and offerings. And then why we sing. And last week we dealt with why do we preach. And tonight I think I want to end it with this. There was a possibility of doing another one about fellowship. Uh, if we can sum fellowship up, um, in anything, we can sum it up with the fellowship that the disciples had with Christ, the many meals that He had, not only with the 13 of them, but also uh, Jesus was accused of eating with sinners. And uh, I think that's fine. I think that's good. And uh, it would be a blessing if we had sinners come to church so we could have fellowship with them. Somebody say amen right there. Uh, but then, uh, not only that, but Hebrews 10, 25 uh, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. So I, I think that the Bible does teach about fellowship, but I don't think it's necessary to include that in this series. But tonight is the invitation or the altar call. Now, uh, as I go through through this introduction, I want you to kind of put yourself in a in a in a part of the service shoes, okay? Uh, whether it's a Sunday school teacher, whether it's the one that opens the prayer, whether it's a song leader, whether it's the preacher, I want you to kind of put yourself in that as we think about this uh, altar call or this invitation. Some of the most important moments of a service, in the entirety of the service, are those moments during the invitation. Now, in saying that, uh, most folks, when they're saved, they're saved at a church. They're saved at an altar. And uh, so this is truly a, a turning point or a point of decision for many people during that altar call or that invitation. And I'll use those interchangeably, so however you want to write it down is fine. But the entire service, and I thought from the opening prayer, but I really believe from the Sunday school lesson, uh, is, is culminated in the, the invitation. I can't tell you how many times that I've had a message on my heart, and after I've preached it, kids and adults have come to me and said, that's what we studied in Sunday school. Or brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so taught that in Sunday school today. Or maybe the teacher would come up and say, you ain't going to believe this, but we talked about people going to hell today too. Uh, or whatever it may be. And so I think that the entirety of the service from the 10 o'clock service, and again, I want to take this time to invite you to come to the 10 o'clock Sunday school hour. I don't want to beat you over the head with it, but I'm telling you, you will be blessed by coming to Sunday school, whether it's in this class or one of the, the other classes. I'm telling you, you will be blessed. So I want to encourage you again to do that and remind you, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, because we have assembled together at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. If you're here at 9 o'clock, just hang on, we'll be here after a while. Uh, but 
As we think about Sunday school and then we go into prayer, we pray specifically, usually, whoever opens us up in prayer, they pray for God's presence, they pray for some soul to be saved in some form or fashion, they pray that saints be renewed. Then we take up tithes and we take up offerings, and this is the first corporate act of worship that we do. Everyone can take place in this act of worship, which is the tithes and the offerings. From there, we sing, and and again, I have to put emphasis on singing. Uh, Often, the songs that are selected by the song leader, and even those that sing a special, uh, they often match the theme of the message. I can't, again, can't tell you how many times that has happened. Now, I will tell you, that don't happen all the time. Uh, I can tell you a few times, one in particular, a little lady got up, she was probably somewhere close to 12 years older than God. And she got up and sang Elvis Presley, Love Me Tender, or something to that effect. Lori knows what I'm talking about. Um, almost didn't preach that service because I just hardly couldn't keep it together. Plus, I was half mad about the whole situation anyway. Uh, but most of the time, uh, even unknowingly, the song selections throughout the service fit that message. And then preaching. The message should always point to Christ, whether it's uh, tithing, we've mentioned that a few times, or whether it's preaching about hell, or whether it's the, the widow woman that lost her son. All of those things can point back to Christ, and they should do those things. But these moments are often the most overlooked and the most dismissed moments in church. I can't tell you how many times that, that, uh, from the pulpit I watch as, as, as I begin to wind down or I hear it as another preacher is up and people begin to zip up their Bibles or they get their purses and you can hear the papers moving and they're getting their Bibles ready and hear keys going. It's like, okay, let's get out of here. It's time. We're going to, we're going to the buffet or we're going to the restaurant or we're, we gotta go home, whatever it is. And, and it's as if the attitudes of the people uh, are wrong many times in an invitation. When I say the attitudes, it could be because it's been a long service. It could be because you're tired. It could be because you're just you're just ready to go. You don't have anything to pray about, and so let's just sing our song and let's get done with it. Well, that's not the right attitude because this is the time, again, everything has culminated to this point. And so we need to be ready to see what God wants to do. We ask God at the beginning of the service, God, move in your people today. And so we finally want to give Him a moment or two to move. And so let's be patient in that. But then oftentimes the preacher, the preacher messes up the invitation. How do we do this? I've done it. I've seen it done. They drag the invitation out with even more. They just preached an hour and a half. Y'all can say amen right there. And then we have a 15, 20 minute invitation where he continues to preach what he was preaching, just driving home his message. Sometimes even preachers mess them up. Sometimes the preacher gets up there and He's preached his guts out. Nobody comes to the altar. And the preacher beats everybody over the head saying, Y'all should have come to the altar. Anybody ever experienced that? Don't say amen. But then sometimes singers, musicians, can hinder the altar call. This invitation. Sometimes they're not prepared to sing. Or maybe they've given no thought of song selection in connection with the message. Now, 
I say this not because our song leader is here, but because I've done it before. I have led singing before. It's not an easy task, is it, Brother David? It, it's really not. I, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you how many times that the preacher was preaching on some obscure passage of Scripture that had what I thought nothing to do with anything in that red back hymnal, and then I just got to pick something. Here we're gathering in the sheaves, or we're swinging low sweet chariot, or something along those lines. Sometimes there's not a good song to sing. But if we're, if we're in the right mind that the invitation is very important, then whether it's Brother David or Nathan or Samuel or myself, or maybe we call on someone else to sing, we have to be mindful of the song during that time. And so, the question though remains, why do we have an invitation? So I'm going to give you these things and I'm, I'm going to try my best to hurry. I want to give you its history and its definition first of all. The, the history of the altar call uh, dates back to the 1800s. About 1830 to 1870 is about where it kind of gained momentum. It was often called the anxious seat the seat of decision, or the mourner's bench. Probably the one that we in this generation probably would have heard, maybe grandparents talk about the most, is the mourner's bench. And, uh, and that's because it's car- that, that has carried on, and we've, we've heard that from our, like I said, our grandparents. But, but probably the most, most notable is the preacher will get up and they'll say, kneel down at that old-fashioned altar of prayer, something along those lines. It became popular in the 1800s with preachers like Charles Finney, Billy Sunday, D.L. Moody. It became a staple in churches and in tent meetings, crusades, whatever you want to call them. G. Campbell Morgan, Martin Lloyd-Jones, R.A. Torrey, A.W. Tozer. And the list could go on and on. And the definition of an altar call is, or rather an invitation, let me, let me clear this one up. It is a call or a request of a person to visit. So, as I was looking at this, it says a call or indication to visit. And so it is an indication that they ought not to come alone. How many times have you heard me over the last several years? You see somebody come to the altar, you get up and come and pray with them. And so I'll take this moment again. Men, if you see a young man or another man, get up and pray. Brush off your your pride. Brush off your fear. and Just come down here. Get beside them. Get around them somewhere and pray. Ladies, you do the same thing. Not that your prayer is going to affect their problem so much, but it's just a bolster to their faith and an encouragement to them. Hey, somebody cared enough to come down here and pray with me. But the word invitation is an invite to come. Now, altar call is an invitation, again, invitation to publicly come forward to make a spiritual commitment. Now, a word we don't use very much anymore is rededication. But it might be a good idea, we just had a baby dedication a few weeks ago, it might be a good idea for some of us to get to the point where we we understand that we are a frail human and that we are uh, not as perfect as we want to believe we are. And I'm not being mean, 
But we're not as good as we think we are, and it might do us good just to get down here at an altar every once in a while and just rededicate our life to God and say, God, listen, I've been on cruise control. I've had this thing on autopilot. I know what to do. I know what to sing. I know where to go. No, not what I know what not to do. I'm 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 going good on my own. But God, I need to get back on the altar and I need to rededicate my life. It do us all good to do that. And I hope you agree with that. Number two, I want us to see, and this is the, 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 the majority of the message. I want us to see the altar or the invitation. And, and I'll use invitation as the word call, uh, throughout this, uh, its use in scripture. I was going to try my best to stay from right around the book of Acts to Revelation, uh, just so we could, uh, get a more, um, as far as chronological picture of this call. But I decided to go back like we have been in, in every, uh, every message in this series we've went to the Old Testament. And so let's set some precedences uh, in this altar call. If we were to look over in Exodus chapter number 32. Now, I, again, I make no, no claims that this is exhaustive. Uh, there's probably more, but to fit uh, my thoughts, these are the, the scriptures that came to mind as we were studying. In Exodus chapter number 32, and, and I'll not read this, but if you read from verse number 1, pretty much all the way to verse number 25, you'll find the case, first of all. We're talking about Moses, and we see the case. And the people had made a molten calf. Moses was up on top of the mountain. Joshua was halfway up on top of the mountain. He was keeping watch and he was waiting to hear from Moses. Moses was up there and all of a sudden while they were away, the people got, uh, got excited that something has happened to Moses. So they went to Aaron and uh, they said, something's happened. We, we need something to worship. And so they break off all their jewelry and their gold and everything. They, uh, Aaron said, I, I put the gold in the fire and a calf came out. And so here we got a golden calf and they begin to worship this calf. And as this happened, God told Moses up on top of the mountain, listen, we're done for now. You need to get down there because they're, they're sinning. Okay. Now I realize that's dumbed down, but we're, we're, we're just bear with me. And so we finally, we see the case that they have They have begun to worship an idol. They begin to worship this golden calf. But then we see the call. Talking about Moses, we saw the case. But now let's look at the call. We see in verse number 26 of chapter number 32 in Exodus, he says this, Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Now, without saying another word, tonight, we could end our service with that question. Who is on the Lord's side? I've preached a message, I believe, here, uh, but I've at least preached it before about crossing the line. And I can remember as a boy that there was a line drawn in the sand sometimes. Maybe when we were picking teams or whatever, they take their foot or they take a stick and they draw a line in the sand. Said, if you're on my team, come over here. And everybody that was on your team, they'd cross that line and they would be over there. And, and, and nonetheless, you would see one side was stronger than the other. Well, Moses has come down off the mountain. He's heard the noise as of war, he says. 
and he's, he's, he's afraid that something horrible is gone, but God has told him that they are sinning. And he comes and he stands at the door of, or the gate of the city rather, and he said, who is on the Lord's side? And so he's drawn a line in the sand, if you will, and he's saying, I know you're in sin. I understand the case that's happening. I understand the situations. Now he's preaching to them in this, in this one statement. Who is on the Lord's side? And so this is a question, Samuel. And a question normally demands what? An answer. A response. Drives me up the wall if I ask a question and nobody answers me. Drives My wife, bless her heart, she thinks that I know all. She knows I don't, but she thinks I do. And she can be sitting to my right in Atlanta traffic, and I'm glued to the, the like this, and I'll say, "Hey, you love me?" Just crickets. I'm like, "Hey, do you love me?" I shook my head, yes. I'm like, woman, I don't want to. I can't see your head shaking. I can't hear it. I need an answer. Sometimes we we ask a question and we need an answer. Moses has asked a question. He essentially, he's been worshiping with God. God's been doing a a work. He's given him the Ten Commandments as we know them now. He's given him the law. And now he's down in front of the people and he preaches a message in this one phrase, who is on the Lord's side? And their response. There is a response. Verse number 26 again. Notice what it says. And all, at the end, and all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. What we have here is an invitation in the Old Testament. There was a message preached in the phrase, who's on the Lord's side? And there had to be a response. There had to be someone that stood and took action. And here it says it was the sons of Levi. Let's look next. We see, Joshua. Joshua chapter number 24. Y'all still with me, with me on this Wednesday night now? Joshua chapter number 24. You know this is coming. Verse number 15. Joshua now, he's, he's, he's been talking to them. He's charging them. He's preaching to them. He says in verse number 15, Joshua chapter 24. Let's look at the call here. He says, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. That is the call. That is the invitation right there. Okay? He says, you need to choose this day whom you will serve. We're talking about an altar call, an invitation. And again, he preaches an entire message in this one phrase, choose you this day whom you will serve. The response though, we see in verse number 15, again, this is God's man, this is the man that he set over the people. He says, as far as me, look at it, at the very end of verse number 15, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now I need to say this, just just in case you're here and you're wondering what it may mean. He has asked a question and he's talking to the entire encampment. And he says, he doesn't even, Brother Jody, give them a chance to respond yet. He says, I want to know, who are you going to serve? 
He said, but in case there's any doubt, me and my family, we are going to serve the Lord. Wouldn't it be a blessing if before the preacher could say, choose you this day whom you will serve, if the entire congregation said, as far as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Wouldn't that be an absolute blessing to know that every man in here that has a wife and children, every woman that that's in here all alone, every husband that's in here without his family, wouldn't it be a wonderful blessing today if we could all stand and say, I will serve the Lord without any question of anybody else. He made a statement. Joshua made a statement in his invitation. Choose whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, let's notice the response. We got the response from Joshua, but now we can see here in verse number 16. He says, they they said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord, our God, He it is. Okay, so they're on the right track, but it it comes to a a head here in verse number uh, 21. And the people said unto Joshua, nay, but we will serve the Lord. What happened here? That was an altar call in the wilderness. That's what happened. He preached a message and said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. And the response was, We will serve the Lord. Now, let's look. Let's head over to the New Testament. Let's look at the book of Matthew very quickly. Chapter number 3. Matthew chapter number 3. We see John the Baptist. Now, I'm going to give you just a couple little little snippets right here. And you just got to write them down and go on. Because we don't have the, the entirety of everything. We see John the Baptist, Matthew chapter number 3, verse number 1 and 2. I want you to see the call. This is the only point under him. So if you get lost, it's your own fault. Okay? There's only one road. It's going one direction. In those days, this is verse number 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And saying, here's the invitation, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message. And he preached to anybody and everybody. I've told you before, uh, before, before and after I was called to preach as a young boy, I wanted to preach. I had a desire to preach. And me and my friends, we'd get out there in the woods and we'd put one of those wire spools down. We'd get on it. And honey, we'd preach. We'd preach the rabbits in the ground. We'd preach the squirrels. Every one of them needed to be saved. And we'd give an altar call. My cousin would get saved. My friend would get saved. And when it was their time, I'd get down there and get saved. Man, we just have church all over the place. Well, I mean, we'd get a rabbit by the ears and we'd say, oh, oh. I mean, just cry. But why? Because there was a me- there was a message that we wanted to preach. We weren't called to preach yet, but we wanted to preach. And here, John the Baptist is a preacher, and he only knew one thing, Brother Deke. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was a call. That was an invitation. Everybody that heard the message of John the Baptist heard, Repent. Let's look next. If you're taking notes, this is either 4 or this is D. However you do it, I'll email you. Jesus. Let's look at Jesus here. I'm going to give you about seven, six or seven things about Jesus. Turn your page, Matthew chapter number 4, verse number 17. we got to go. From that time, Jesus began to what? Preach. And what did He say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Jesus too preached a message and he said, repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here, the call, we're talking about Jesus and the call. He gave an invitation. He said, repent. Let's look over at Matthew chapter number 9, verse number 10. Matthew chapter number 9, verse number 10. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, here we go, we talked about this fellowship, many, behold, excuse me, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with Him and His disciples, and the Pharisees saw it, and they said unto His disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard, heard that, He said, They that... Uh, are whole, need not a physician, but they that are sick. What was the call here? What was the message? He was telling those sinners as he sat down at meet with them, as he sat down at lunch, one, he says, I love you. I understand that you need some help. But he says he came so that sinners would come to repentance. Look at verse 13. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's look over in Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter number 8, verse number 54. As you're doing your daily Bible reading, you get to chapter number 9. You realize that joker has got 62 verses Oh, my soul, it just sets you back and you gotta, you gotta drink a whole nother cup of coffee before you get to verse number 42 or something. Luke chapter number 8, verse number 54. And when the disciples, I feel like that ain't it. I'm in chapter number 9. We're in chapter number 8, anyway. Um, and he put them all out and took her by the hand and called saying, listen to this, made arise. Now what happened here? What happened here? Well, this, this little girl had died. If you look back through here, this is Jairus' daughter. And he says, Master, would you come to my house? My, my daughter is sick. While he was dealing with the woman that had the issue of blood, I believe it is, she died. They sent another messenger to Jairus, but also to Jesus and said, Don't bother him, she's dead. He said this in verse number 52, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. They laughed him to scorn in verse 53. Verse 54, he put them all out. He took her by the hand and he called. You catch that? He called. He gave an invitation. He'd already touched her heart. He'd already done something. He already, he said she wasn't dead. She was sleeping. Jesus preached a message in these two words. Made arise. What did he do, brother Bobby? He reached out. He touched her. He says he grabbed her by the hand and he called, saying, made her eyes. What happened? There was action that was needed on her part. She had to get up. Talking about these altars, these calls, this invitation. Let's turn over again a few chapters. Luke chapter number 13, verse number 3. And then verse number 5. Let's look what he says. He says the same thing. 13, Luke 13, verse 3. He says, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. Verse 5. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Again, Jesus is giving a message. He is preaching, repent. 
Look at John chapter number 3. We mentioned this on Sunday, verse number 16. For he's talking to Nicodemus. He said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Let's look at the first few phrases of verse 18. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. And so Jesus is preaching. Preaching to Nicodemus, he says, Marvel not that you must be born again. He began to talk about the wind blowing where it listeth. He began to talk about all kinds of things that Nicodemus could not understand. But in that, he was preaching a message and he issued an invitation in verse number 16, verse 17, and verse 18 in that you must believe. There was an action on the listener's part that must be done. Why do we have an invitation in 2021 in our churches because there's a message preached and there's an action that must be completed. John chapter number 10, verse number 9. I want you to see this just real quick. Real quick. It takes me back. I thought about this Sunday. Um, I can't remember if it was this Sunday or last Sunday. Somebody was talking about the door. Uh, but look at this in verse number 9, John chapter number 10. Jesus says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I want you to notice what I'm about to do. I want to be right there. Let's pretend for a moment that there is a solid wall and I cannot get right there without going through these two doors. Okay? So, there is a need. I I need to be right there, and somebody says that I am the door. So what has to happen? I have to go through the door, and I have to go through the door. You and I need to understand that Jesus Christ, in this phrase, I am the door, He says there is action on your part. I am the way to eternal life. I am the way to heaven. I am the freedom from sin. I am the freedom of guilt and shame. I am the way out of hell. All you got to do is go in the door. Look what He said there. He says, By me if any man... Enter in, he shall be saved. Let's look at Peter real quick. I got Peter and Paul left. I'm going to try to, probably won't give you all of them, but I'll give you some of them. Peter preached three different messages within two chapters. And y'all think I'm long-winded. Peter Peter had them hemmed up, so he was just preaching. Acts chapter number 2, verse number 14. I'll go quickly. I just want you to see the call here. I'm not going to expound on this, but in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse number 14 down through verse number 36, Peter preaches a message. He began to, he, he spoke of Joel. He, he spoke of his prophecies. He began to speak about, uh, uh, the, 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 the forefathers, Moses and the prophets. He began to, to go through there. And he come down to verse number 37. We see the call in, let's look at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that name Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And so he is saying the 
only name whereby we must be saved. You understand that? He is calling out Jesus Christ. He is teaching. He is preaching them about Jesus Christ. He is telling them the very one that you've been looking for, you just crucified Him. So he's preached a message. There's the call. But then the response in verse number 38, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, listen to this. I want you to look with me. Verse 30, uh, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Did you catch that word? They that gladly received His Word. See, there's a lot of folks that they, they, they hear the Word, but they don't receive the Word. And what Peter did is he preached to them in verse number 14 down through verse number 36. He gave that altar call there. Even in verse number 38, he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. And finally, they believed gladly. They received His Word gladly and they were saved. So we see the call. We see the response. I'll give you these. I'm not going to say anything about them, but I want you to notice his second message there again in verse number 38 and verse number 40. You see the call. Verse 41, you see the response. There's two different messages going on here. I think I got that mixed up. That's all right. His third message in chapter number 3, verse number 12 through verse 26. And then the response in chapter number 4, verse number 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. So I realize we can't quantify the date in this, but from chapter 2 to chapter 4, there were 8,000 people got saved. Really, based on one word, repent. That wouldn't fly today, would it? You need to repent, but here's a hot dog. You need to repent, but here's a balloon. You need to repent, but here's, here's a trip to the Bahamas. Just whatever it is, we can, let's get them in. We'll, we'll give you just a little bit of truth and a whole lot of other things. No, he, he didn't give them any other flaw. He said, repent. And that's what they needed to do. In 1 Peter chapter number 1, Verse number 15, we see Peter's not preaching, but he's teaching. First Peter chapter number 1, verse number 15, he says this. Again, this is, he's given an invitation to those that would read his epistle. He says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That word conversation is your life. Style. Everything that you do ought to be holy. Your reactions, your desires. I realize this is redundant, but your wants should be holy. So Peter, even in his teaching, he taught about or gave an invitation. Paul, again, I'm not going to take the time to to preach this, if you will. But in Acts chapter 17, we see Paul in his message 
We see the call in Acts chapter 17, verse 22 through verse 31. But there was a response in verse number 32. I want to turn back and I want to just read verse 32. Acts chapter 17. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear thee again on this matter. This wasn't a definite conversion, if you will. But at least their ears were open. And they heard something that the Apostle Paul said. And they realized, I I, I might need to hear this message again. I told somebody just a couple weeks ago, I preached a message on, on carnal Christians, but it was I didn't preach it a couple weeks ago. I told somebody. But I preached a message on carnal Christians and the title was Camouflage Christians. And uh, I, I, I preached it and there was, there was a crowd of people there and there, there was a moving, if memory serves me right, there was a moving at the altar. But all week long, the next week, I, I tried to find the Lord's will for the new message. I couldn't. And just felt like He said, just preach that same message again. And I thought, oh no. Oh no, I, I can't preach it again. And He said, you preach it again. And so I pulled my outline up and I started to change it. Could get no liberty whatsoever to change it. And he said, you preach it again. I preached it again. And again, God began to move in people's hearts. The exact same message. Same inflections. Everything was the same. The same outline. They needed to hear it again. And Paul preached. And he said, we will, they said, we will hear you again. On this matter. Paul also taught in Romans chapter number 10, verse number 13. He says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the invitation to call on God was an invitation to God. And he said, if you would call on God, you will be saved. So there is a teaching there about this altar call. He also said in 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10, he says this, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So even in this teaching to the church at Corinth, He said that godly sorrow worketh, and this is that same word, worketh, from Romans chapter 8. This is that same word that we talk about. I'm not going to go into detail, but it means to make something. He said godly sorrow fashions repentance. See, there's an altar call. There's there's a need for altar call. I have been purposely lax on doing altar calls occasionally, um, just because I felt like the message was was pointed more towards private action rather than a public display of of, of commitment or what have you, uh, but I tell you there is such a need today for altar calls and for them to be purposeful, not just what what is uh, eighty one just as I am. That's a wonderful song. It's a wonderful song. And it probably could fit in any message whatsoever. 
But if we are just lazy about it and just, well, let's just do 81. That's not the way to go about it. During the invitation, if you're, you're, I almost said piddling. If, if you're fooling around with your, with your, uh, gum wrappers, trying to get all your trash up, speaking of which, get all your doggone trash up. I don't know who needs to hear that. Water bottles and everything else. I need them up tonight. Okay? You're welcome. That was in the flesh. I'm stepping out of the flesh box now. Get tired of seeing water bottles everywhere. You're piddling with, with all your trash. You're piddling with your keys and trying to get everything together. How about let's just be still and let God move. Be still and allow God to move. Whether it's a song played or it's a song sang. Somebody might need to come to the altar. And let me say this, just in case you, you're, you didn't know. I think I told you, but just in case. We're doing Facebook Live, but Lori's sitting over here, and before the invitation starts, she stops it. And so I don't want you all to think for a minute that you're going to be on, uh, on camera uh, during the invitation. So don't let that hinder you. Don't let what somebody else thinks hinder you either. Do business with God during the invitation. Now, I am not going to have invitation tonight. Y'all are welcome. But, I want you to think about this. Why do we do these things? The, everything that we do in this church is out of this book. There's nothing that I know of. There's nothing that we do that's outside of the purview of this, these Scriptures. And so... Let's take it as God's desire, His design, and follow it. And and, and rejoice in it. 